chapter six of my life the story of a provincial by anton chekhov translated by constance garnett eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six one day dr blagovo turned up unexpectedly he was wearing a military tunic over a silk shirt and high boots of patent leather i have come to see you he began shaking my hand heartily like a student i am hearing about you every day and i have been meaning to come and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk as they say the boredom in the town is awful there is not a living soul no one to say a word to it's hot holy mother he went on taking off his tunic and sitting in his silk shirt my dear fellow let me talk to you i was dull myself and had for a long time been craving for the society of someone not a house painter i was genuinely glad to see him i'll begin by saying he said sitting down on my bed that i sympathize with you from the bottom of my heart and deeply respect the life you are leading they don't understand you here in the town and indeed there is no one to understand seeing that as you know they are all with very few exceptions regular gogolesque pig faces here but i saw what you were at once that time at the picnic you are a noble soul an honest high-minded man i respect you and feel it a great honour to shake hands with you he went on enthusiastically to have made such a complete and violent change of life as you have done you must have passed through a complicated spiritual crisis and to continue this manner of life now and to keep up to the high standard of your convictions continually must be a strain on your mind and heart from day to day now to begin our talk tell me don't you consider that if you had spent your strength of will this strained activity all these powers on something else for instance on gradually becoming a great scientist or artist your life would have been broader and deeper and would have been more productive we talked and when we got upon manual labour i expressed this idea that what is wanted is that the strong should not enslave the weak that the minority should not be a parasite on the majority nor a vampire for ever sucking its vital sap that is all without exception strong and weak rich and poor should take part equally in the struggle for existence each one on his own account and that there was no better means for equalizing things in that way than manual labour in the form of universal service compulsory for all then do you think every one without exception ought to engage in manual labour asked the doctor yes and don't you think that if everyone including the best men the thinkers and great scientists taking part in the struggle for existence each on his own account are going to waste their time breaking stones and painting roofs may not that threaten a grave danger to progress where is the danger i asked why progress is in deeds of love in fulfilling the moral law if you don't enslave anyone if you don't oppress anyone what further progress do you want but excuse me blagovo suddenly fired up rising to his feet but excuse me if a snail in its shell busies itself over perfecting its own personality and muddles about with the moral law do you call that progress why muddles i said offended if you don't force your neighbour to feed and clothe you to transport you from place to place and defend you from your enemies surely in the midst of a life entirely resting on slavery that is progress isn't it to my mind it is the most important progress and perhaps the only one possible and necessary for man the limits of universal world progress are in infinity 
and to talk of some possible progress limited by our needs and temporary theories is excuse my saying so positively strange if the limits of progress are in infinity as you say it follows that its aims are not definite i said to live without knowing definitely what you are living for so be it but that not knowing is not so dull as your knowing i am going up a ladder which is called progress civilization culture i go on and up without knowing definitely where i am going but really it is worth living for the sake of that delightful ladder while you know what you are living for you live for the sake of some people's not enslaving others that the artist and the man who rubs his paints may dine equally well but you know that's the petty bourgeois kitchen grey side of life and surely it is revolting to live for that alone if some insects do enslave others bother them let them devour each other we need not think about them you know they will die and decay just the same however zealously you rescue them from slavery we must think of that great millennium which awaits humanity in the remote future blagovo argued warmly with me but at the same time one could see he was troubled by some irrelevant idea i suppose your sister is not coming he said looking at his watch she was at our house yesterday and said she would be seeing you to-day you keep saying slavery slavery he went on but you know that is a special question and all such questions are solved by humanity gradually we began talking of doing things gradually i said that the question of doing good or evil every one settles for himself without waiting till humanity settles it by the way of gradual development moreover this gradual process has more than one aspect side by side with the gradual development of human ideas the gradual growth of ideas of another order is observed serfdom is no more but the capitalist system is growing and in the very heyday of emancipating ideas just as in the days of bati the majority feeds clothes and defends the minority while remaining hungry inadequately clad and defenceless such an order of things can be made to fit in finely without any tendencies and currents of thought you like because the art of enslaving is also gradually being cultivated we no longer flog our servants in the stable but we give to slavery refined forms at least we succeed in finding a justification for it in each particular case ideas are ideas with us but if now at the end of the nineteenth century it were possible to lay the burden of the most unpleasant of our physiological functions upon the working class we should certainly do so and afterwards of course justify ourselves by saying that if the best people the thinkers and great scientists were to waste their precious time on these functions progress might be menaced with great danger but at this point my sister arrived seeing the doctor she was fluttered and troubled and began saying immediately that it was time for her to go home to her father cleopatra alexievna said blagovo earnestly pressing both hands to his heart what will happen to your father if you spend half an hour or so with your brother and me he was frank and knew how to communicate his liveliness to others after a moment's thought my sister laughed and all at once became suddenly gay as she had been at the picnic we went out into the country and lying in the grass went on with our talk and looked towards the town where all the windows facing west were like glittering gold because the sun was setting after that whenever my sister was coming to see me blagovo turned up too and they always greeted each other as though their meeting in my room was accidental 
my sister listened while the doctor and i argued and at such times her expression was joyfully enthusiastic full of tenderness and curiosity and it seemed to me that a new world she had never dreamed of before and which she was now striving to fathom was gradually opening before her eyes when the doctor was not there she was quiet and sad and now as she sometimes shed tears as she sat on my bed it was for reasons of which she did not speak in august radish ordered us to be ready to go to the railway line two days before we were banished from the town my father came to see me he sat down and in a leisurely way without looking at me wiped his red face then took out of his pocket our town messenger and deliberately with emphasis on each word read out the news that the son of the branch manager of the state bank a young man of my age had been appointed head of a department in the exchequer and now look at you he said folding up the newspaper a beggar in rags good for nothing even working-class people and peasants obtain education in order to become men while you a polosnev with ancestors of rank and distinction aspire to the gutter but i have not come here to talk to you i have washed my hands of you he added in a stifled voice getting up i have come to find out where your sister is you worthless fellow she left home after dinner and here it is nearly eight and she is not back she has taken to going out frequently without telling me she is less dutiful and i see in it your evil and degrading influence where is she in his hand he had the umbrella i knew so well and i was already flustered and drew myself up like a schoolboy expecting my father to begin hitting me with it but he noticed my glance at the umbrella and most likely that restrained him live as you please he said i shall not give you my blessing holy saints my nurse muttered behind the door you poor unlucky child ah my heart bodes ill i worked on the railway line it rained without stopping all august it was damp and cold they had not carried the corn in the fields and on big farms where the wheat had been cut by machines it lay not in sheaves but in heaps and i remember how those luckless heaps of wheat turned blacker every day and the grain was sprouting in them it was hard to work the pouring rain spoiled everything we managed to do we were not allowed to live or to sleep in the railway buildings and we took refuge in the damp and filthy mud huts in which the navvies had lived during the summer and i could not sleep at night for the cold and the wood-lice crawling on my face and hands and when we worked near the bridges the navvies used to come in the evenings in a gang simply in order to beat the painters it was a form of sport to them they used to beat us to steal our brushes and to annoy us and rouse us to fight they used to spoil our work they would for instance smear over the signal boxes with green paint to complete our troubles radish took to paying us very irregularly all the painting work on the line was given out to a contractor he gave it out to another and this subcontractor gave it to radish after subtracting twenty per cent for himself the job was not a profitable one in itself and the rain made it worse time was wasted we could not work while radish was obliged to pay the fellows by the day the hungry painters almost came to beating him calling him a cheat a bloodsucker a judas while he poor fellow sighed lifted up his hand to heaven in despair and was continually going to madame chepreckoff for money end of chapter six recording by expatriate in bangor maine